Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Ensley. He is a financial planner based in Washington State. He's an expert particularly on saving and investing and retirement planning. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, John. Thanks, Jordan. Happy to be here. Just give us a brief history of how you got to where you are today. Okay, great. So um, I guess I'll start with after the 2008 financial crisis um, and kind of observing what went on in my own life and observing what went on in some other people's lives. I took an intense interest in understanding how things work financially. And that kind of took me on what I call a journey of self-discovery. And I studied hundreds of books and blogs and channels, et cetera, uh, over a, a, number, a couple of years. And the conclusion I came to was um, that a lot of it uh, is somewhat corrupt. And the, the main driving question became, well, how can I insulate my own life from some of this? And that led me to more study and a few concepts that could, in fact, insulate my life from some of this system that, that we really have no choice but to participate in. And um, eventually that became kind of a passion to help other people do the same. And so obtained licensing and training and so forth. And I started James Lee Financial as a financial planning firm in 2012. And so you're dealing and, with people uh, around so you're dealing with people around the country or only where you're located? Tell me a little bit about your clientele. So mostly the Western United States. Um, I do have clients all over the country, but I'm based here in the Pacific Northwest, so I tend to focus in that geography. Very good. All right, so let's start right now with uh, what you call the, the simple steps to financial mastery. The first one is to earn. So, uh, you know, people are earning their incomes, but in many cases, they don't feel they're earning enough to be able to save and earn. What, what are some of the ways people can earn more? That's a great question. Um, of course, we all have to start with whatever that primary income source is and then expand from there. So I, I think there's a lot of ways people can, um, they can start businesses, side gigs, side hustles, as they're called, uh, and bring in extra money that way. You can uh, train yourself. You can get training to do something different that will lead to more money down the road. I think, I think there's a lot of things that you can do to expand your capacity to earn and, um, and be able to, I think the key component there too is once you are earning more to go to that next step and actually save that difference rather than consume it. So that is your second step is to save. Now the overall U.S. savings rate is maybe 2%, something like that. People don't save very much. A lot of people are retiring and pretty much Social Security is about all they've got. So what are some ways mm -hmm. that people can save more in light of the current situation, which is their expenses are going up because of inflation, and their earnings are probably not going up as fast as their expenses. In that realistic situation, how can they save more? Well, I think that I think being aware, awareness is the key. And that's probably one of the big things that I see in working with clients and prospective clients is a lot of folks out there don't really have a good handle on what they're spending and what they're spending it on. Um, and so, you know, we all hate the, the budget word, but I think it, not so much a budget as a tracking system for understanding where the money is going. That's like a first step because there's a, lo a lot of money that's flowing. I remember I did this for myself 20 years ago or whatever it was now and, you know, was 
shocked at how much I was spending every month at Starbucks, just uh, stopping in for a coffee from time to time uh, a lot more often than I realized they did. So I think that can be a real eye-opener for people to just track. Where is it going? What am I spending it on? And if you make that the first step, control the bleeding, so to speak, um, then you can start to implement strategies to expand your income and be able to save more. So is it, is it automatic? Is that the main thing is to make it as automatic? What, what are some ways to save on automatic pilot? So on autopilot, once you establish where you know where your money's going, you know what you're spending it on, then you can start uh, automating that process. So I know X amount of dollars every month is going to have to go to, to for my basic living expenses and what I have to support myself on. And then this amount is going to go into this other location, uh, whether that's a savings account or at that point, it really doesn't matter what it is as long as we're putting that section away. And I think that the other thing that comes in here is, is I, I think it's a mistake to shoot for a percentage. Um, it can be a good goal, but we really want to be saving as much as we possibly can. So it's a, it's a combination of expanding income, reducing um, unnecessary expenditures, automating the process, and trying to save as much as we possibly can, not necessarily just 2% or 5% or 10%. So savings accounts and money market funds pretty much earn nothing these days. What is a better place to put your savings where it's going to earn a decent yield these days? Mm -hmm. uh, so in, in, in my opinion, um, life insurance products would be somewhere near the top of that list as a great place to park cash. Um, I always stress that we would want appropriate and properly designed life insurance products. And that, of course, is going to be a little bit different scenario for every single person. Um, but that's not to say that a, a bank account, a savings account, isn't necessary to have some cash on hand to deal with uh, emergencies or those things that come up. So we're going to get into life insurance. I know you're a bigger believer in this bank on yourself strategy. We're going to get into that in more detail. But beyond saving, you say the next key to financial mastery is compounding. So how do you have your money compound at a decent rate with, again, interest rates being relatively low today? Yes. And I, I think where, where we miss the boat with compounding is we get focused on uh, some percentage that compounding should be. I think the key with compounding is time. And so it, it, we, we want our money to compound. We want it to grow. I don't think focusing on year over year rate of return or those types of metrics is necessarily the key. The key is we want the money saved, we want it safe, we want it growing, and we want it growing over a lifetime, over many, many decades. Indeed. Uh, okay, so after the compounding, um, people may not understand the value of Just give people a sense of how powerful compounding can be over time. Well, I think, um, you know, everybody's heard the example of a penny compounded on itself for 30 days ends up at somewhere north of a million dollars. Um, and so that really is the power of it. That Those examples are somewhat uh, misleading, or they can be. Um, I also think we live in a world where compounding is, um, we, we think we're compounding, but, but every time... Every time that account goes backwards in value, you're really resetting. You're not compounding anymore. You've gone backwards now. You're kind of starting over. The true power of compounding is that it continues to compound. Even a small amount of compounding that is never ending over a lifetime will build up 
to some substantial benefits down the road. So beyond compounding, you talk about preserving. Um, so again, we have inflation going on now where the value of your money is, is becoming worth less as prices go up. How can one preserve mm -hmm. you built up and saved and compound based on what we've talked about so far? Well, preservation, I think, is, is one of the things that is most often missed. Uh, the mistake that I think I see most pre-retirees make is not preserving at least a portion of their nest egg. Um, and, and we'll get into what I call the money monsters um, probably, but these are yes. things that eat away at your nest egg. And I think the first step in preservation is making sure that you've protected your nest egg from those things that will eat away at its value. We all have to deal with inflation no matter what. Um, um, but there's a number of other things that decrease the value of your nest egg over time, and we want to position those assets, position that money where we can preserve it because it can't grow if we're going backwards. <clears throat> Do you think inflation is going to be a problem for a long term? I mean, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to bring inflation down. Do you think they're going to be successful and we're going to get back to a, a period of relatively low inflation? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think so in the near term. I think inflation is going to be something that's with us for a little while. They've, uh, we've been creating quite a bit of money in the system for quite a long time now, and that's sort of coming home to roost right now. And, um, and I think that's going to be the case. I, I don't see a scenario where the expenditures by the government or the creation of currency by the Federal Reserve uh, is really going to change much in the decades ahead. So I think we're still going to have periods of booms and busts, and we're going to have periods of deflation and periods of inflation. I think that's going to be with us for the foreseeable future. So I, what do you think of the main cause of inflation? The administration is saying it was a temporary situation because the pandemic shut things down and then demand came back swiftly and there wasn't enough supply to meet the demand and we're going to kind of work our way through the supply chain and it'll all be fine. Is that your view as to why inflation has come up so much? Well, in, in, uh, I think at its core, from, from my point of view, inflation is caused by an expansion of the, of the currency supply that's in circulation. So a lot of those things that you just mentioned, you know, that we had supply chain disruptions, they're all true, but they're more symptoms than the cause. Um, because the response to most of those things was to create more currency in the form of a number of different programs that, that we've seen since really since 2008, so for over a decade now. And at its core, that's, that's inflation is when the currency supply becomes expanded. Um, those, some of those other things are more the symptoms of that. Yeah. So you're saying to preserve, you've got to preserve yourself against inflation as well because the value of your money is going down. You've got to have it growing at a rate to, to keep your ahead of that, you're saying. you got to keep ahead of inflation, but you've also got to make sure that that, uh, that market crash doesn't take a 30% hit like a lot of people saw over the past, uh, the past year um, because that, that's a very, uh, a very rapid decline in the value of your nest egg um, can have a pretty dramatic effect on top of the year-over-year-over-year -year -year inflation challenge. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Ensley. He's a financial planner in the Washington State uh, area, expert on retirement planning, uh, the Bank on Yourself strategy. We'll go into that more in the next segment. You can find out more about him at his website, jensley, spelled E-N-S-L-E-Y, 
com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Ensley. He's a financial planner in the Washington State area. Um, His uh, website is jensley.com. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Jordan. So one of the things you're a big believer in is the so-called bank-on-yourself strategy, which uses life insurance to build up assets. Just briefly describe how that works and why you think that's a good strategy. So bank-on-yourself, or there's a number of other terms for it, infinite banking concept, et cetera, et cetera. There's quite a few out there now, but they're all referring to the same thing, and that is using some of the unique features of whole life insurance in particular to accumulate cash value within a policy. The policies are designed to focus on the cash value accumulation um, in more quickly than traditionally what whole life would do. Um, and really the, the bank on yourself or the infinite banking reference is in regards to how those policies, those cash values in the policies can be used as a source of financing um, by using policy loans and borrowing against the policies and then repaying um, back to your policy rather than using a bank or a finance company or credit card, et, et cetera. So that's really what it is at its core is a, a method of financing things yourself rather than using banks and finance companies. But it does take a long time. You have to build up cash value over many years. It's not as though this is a, a quick strategy, right? 
Uh, correct. There is a there is a build up point to it. Um, obviously, the the more kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about saving as much as you can. The more you can flow into the policy, the sooner that cash value will build up. You actually have access to those cash values right away, immediately, even in some cases. But it becomes a function of how much you're saving and how much you can fund those policies and how quickly you can do that. So, can any whole life uh, life insurance policy work, or are there specific ones that are better designed to implement bank on yourself strategy? So there are some specific features that we're looking for. Um, one of the key components is that we want to work with mutual life insurance companies as opposed to stock life, life insurance companies. Um, and the other is there's, we want to look at how policy loans are administered, uh, something called non-direct recognition, which is a, a little feature in some policies where when you borrow from the policy, the growth in the policy will continue as if the funds were not borrowed. And we can talk more about that. Um, so there are just any policy won't do it. You also want to work with an advisor that knows how to structure the policies with the correct writers. That's probably the most important thing. Um, using what's called a paid up additions writer in conjunction with the whole life policy is what sort of supercharges that cash value accumulation piece. And so the advisor you're working with or the agent you're working with needs to understand how that works and how to structure the policies correctly. So explain that a little bit. You're buying paid-up additions uh, with each premium, with, with each uh, cash value distribution. Explain that uh, rider a little bit. You bet. So um, the paid-up additions rider is buying small pieces of whole life insurance that are paid up uh, forever when, once you buy them. And the way the policies are structured is you're designing it so that most of the premium can flow into that paid-up additions rider. So the way to think about these or the way I explain these is the, the policy really has um, a few key components. And the first component is the base, which is kind of like the chassis that the rest of the policy is built on top of. And then the, the second component is the paid-up additions rider. And so the base is structured such that the, the underlying contract is in place and the majority of the premium 60, 70, 80% of the premium is going into the paid-up additions rider. So if you're borrowing against your life insurance policy, you might be paying 5 6%, something like that, maybe 4 4 to 6%. You have to be earning more than that not to come out ahead. How does the, the numbers work if you're borrowing out at a you know, 3 4 5% rate? That's a great question, Jordan. And the way I always explain this is we have to always look at a policy loan as compared to how else we would do whatever it is we're doing with it. So we would never borrow against the policy if it's a situation where we wouldn't borrow from some other source to, to complete that transaction, whether it's a major purchase or an investment of some kind. And that, I think, is the important thing. Is in, And if you can borrow the money somewhere else, at better terms, then of course you should do that. Um, but the policy should become one of your primary sources of financing, as I think you'll find if you run the numbers, it's pretty efficient compared to any other way that we might finance something. Does that make sense? You're comparing the three, four, five percent on the insurance policy against a credit card or a mortgage or a student loan or a car loan, which is going to be at a higher rate. That's what you're saying. Correct. Correct. Okay. So is, has the, have and you actually that non 
have you actually implemented this and had it be successful? Just give us a story or two of a, a client you've actually put this into effect for. Sure. Um, I've used it myself a number of times over the years, and I have many, many, many clients that um, that use the strategy very regularly. So, um, let's see. As an example, I have a, a client who has multiple um, food franchise restaurants, and so he used his policy to open new locations. So he could borrow against the policy, generate the lump sum of cash that he needed in order to finance the opening of his next restaurant. And then all of his businesses collectively, of course, are, are, are repaying that the way it was structured. Um, and that was much more efficient for him than trying to qualify for, for commercial financing as a franchise owner. So as long as you so pay it back, better it works. you just don't want to... You don't want to keep these loans outstanding for a long time. As long as you pay it back, it works, is the idea. Correct. Yes, we call that being an honest banker. You definitely want to pay your loans back. Um, and the way I explain this to my clients is you want to pay the loan back in a reasonable amount of time. One of the key benefits to using the strategy is that the, the policy owner is in complete control of the terms. So you can pay it back however long you want to at whatever level you want to. But again, that caveat is you do want to pay them back and you want to pay it back in a reasonable period of time. And what's reasonable or reasonable depends on what you used the money for. What are some of the insurance companies that offer the policies you're looking for with the correct riders that are appropriate for the bank and yourself strategy? There are lots of them out there. Um, there are more than I could probably list. I can tell you the top three or four that I usually work with, but there's, there's many more beyond that list. Go ahead. What are, what are the top three or four that you use? Okay. We use uh, Lafayette Life Insurance Company. is uh, very strong in this particular area. And then Forrester's Financial, Security Mutual New York, um, Mass Mutual would be another one on there, um, and again, the, the the list goes well beyond those. This is not something that traditional financial planners tend to embrace. Why is it not more popular than you think it would be if it's that good? Um, I think I think that question goes back to kind of how the system is structured from a from a financial planner or a advisor standpoint. Um, the, the way the compensation works for, for planners, whether you're a fee-only planner or you're a broker and you're earning commissions that way or you're an insurance agent and you're earning commissions that way, the way, the way things are structured um, is, is not – I think it's just outside the norm for most advisors. And so they, they tend to, 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 uh, to focus where it seems like is, is more in line with what they were trained and what they were taught. So I, I actually, I'm very curious myself. It's a question I've asked over and over and over again as to why, when I first got into this in 2012, I thought there would be a great synergy or partnership between conventional investment advisors and, and what this concept talks about. But in fact, there's, there's really not. There's almost a, um, an, an adversarial scenario between insurance and investments. And it, it doesn't seem like it should be that way. They should complement each other because they actually do. Interesting. So you have what you call the money monsters. Let's go through those. These are the things that you have to kind of combat. The first one is taxes. Um, so what are some, in general, some ways to reduce your tax burden uh, legally? 
so taxes, um, all of the money monsters are those things that would eat away at your nest egg, and they kind of get forgotten. Taxes is a great one that gets forgotten. You know, we a lot of us take money pre-tax and put it into various retirement plans, and we sort of forget that those those funds will all become taxable in the future. So part of that is understanding that when you look at taxes, you're looking at it from a lifetime standpoint, not just what my tax bill is this year, but what what's my tax exposure over my lifetime, and how can I effectively reduce it? And I think... Again, I, I look at some of the properly designed life insurance products as a great way to do that, but there's, those are the things you can do. We talked about starting side hustles or side gigs. Uh, owning a business is a, is a great way to pick up some tax advantages. So today, because the standard deduction has been raised, the vast majority of Americans, 80 90%, don't itemize at, at all. They just take the standard deduction. Mm-hmm. There are fewer ways to save on taxes legitimately than they were in the past when people would itemize more frequently? There are fewer now? Because people are not itemizing, I'm saying. Correct, yes. I, I would say it's it's gotten more difficult because they've eliminated the, the itemizing. Um, but, you know, th- there are still things that, that people can do, again, from a, over a lifetime standpoint. Um, you know, I think uh, if you're familiar with Ed Slot and, and his material, Ed's a CPA, and he, he says uh, a number of times in, in much of his material that they, the, um, the IRS code that talks about life insurance is one of the most undervalued codes in the, in the whole thing. Indeed. Okay, so that's the first money monster is taxes. The next one is fees. So what kind of fees, you're talking about money management fees, or what kind of fees and how can you uh, reduce those in a good way? Yes, money management fees is primarily what we're talking about there. And again, I think awareness, being understanding what the way fees work and, and what you're paying currently becomes a key component. So in a typical money management scenario, there's a, a fee as a percentage of assets under management. So if you have a million dollars with an asset manager, they charge 1%. Etc. It could be half a percent. It could be three quarters. It could be three percent. Just it, it it varies. It's all over the board. But the thing to understand about those percents of assets under management is they're cumulative. So every year you're paying that fee again, and it's piling up, and it becomes a larger and larger and larger and larger percentage of that portfolio value. In fact, if you extend that out over twenty, thirty, forty years, it can be a third of the original principal or a third of the growth dollars over that time. It's significant. When you compare that to some insurance products, the kinds that I work with, the, the costs on the front end are largely fixed, not in all cases, but in most cases they're largely fixed, which means that over time that cost impact is becoming a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of the overall. And so over that same 20, 30, 40 years where the costs with the money manager might be in that 20 to 30% range, the cost on the insurance products might be in that 3 to 6% range over a lifetime. So where are you on passive investing versus active investing, passive being index funds that have lower fees? Do you think it's better to try to beat the market or, or do indexing to, to lower fees? 
I think the vast majority of people um, are are not willing or able to do the research it takes to to really um, understand passive investing. And so I would, I or I'm sorry, understand active investing. So I, I would fall in the camp of passive investing for the most part. Um, and, and yeah, that's it. So as, as a way to lower fees, you're saying. That is a way to lower fees, although I think you're, you're, you're exposing yourself to the tax piece more than you need to be, and you're also exposing yourself to the, the, the crash scenario, which is the next one. Yes. Okay, we're going to take another break. Now, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Ensley, a financial planner in the uh, Seattle, Washington uh, area. Uh, he's an expert in the bank on yourself uh, strategy. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, which is Ensley. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your, your host. My guest this hour is John Ensley, a financial planner in the Seattle, Washington area. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about the money monsters. We talked about taxes and fees. The next one is crashes. Now, last year, the market went down. I wouldn't call it a crash. But how can you protect yourself against crashes? So um, that would be, I keep talking about kind of the same thing again. And I think life insurance products, appropriate and properly designed life insurance products, are how you can protect yourself from some of these things. Um, that there's tax advantages, there's lower fees, and crashes. When the when the market does go down, I agree, last year wasn't really a crash, but it did go down. Um, we've had a few crashes uh, in the last several decades, 
And I think when, when those crashes happen, having something in place to insulate yourself so that you don't, you're, you don't see your assets decline, um, really, it comes back to that compounding piece. It just keeps plodding along upward every year, no matter what happens. And so, again, using life insurance products in the right way as part of your asset allocation strategy is one of the ways you can protect yourself against participating in those downturns or crashes. One specific product designed for that in insurance is Index Universal Life, where you get a piece of the upside, but they're not a piece of the downside. Are you a believer in that as a good way to protect yourself against crashes? Um, I focus on whole life. Um, I am not a fan of index universal life for some other some other reasons. Um, the index feature in an IUL does offer that you know, that uh, downside protection, though, so that is a good thing. There's some other features with IUL that I think um, don't make it less uh, appealing than a than a whole life contract. Just tell us what what are some of the things you don't like about IULs? Okay. Um, so index universal life is essentially an annual renewable term life insurance policy with a side fund. And the idea is that you fund the policy, you, what's called overfunding. So you fund the policy with more premium than what that annual renewable term policy requires. And then they take this extra money that's in the side account that's above and beyond those policy costs and they're applying a growth factor based on usually a 20 or 25 year look back of some index, the S&P 500 or some other index that the insurance company uses. And so over time, the investment value in the side fund continues to grow. And every year, the cost of that annual renewable term component is extracted from the side fund. And so in the early years, these can seem like they're working pretty well. But what we've seen happen is that if you ever stop putting premium into those policies, the annual renewable term is increasing in cost every year. And as you get older, those costs, of course, are going up um, pretty dramatically when you get into that 65, 70, 75, 80 um, age range. And unless you're continuing to feed the policy, the problem that we've seen is that the the cost of the term eats up the cash value very quickly, and the policy will implode or lapse at some point. Is this and something so that insurance uh, companies tell people about, or is this something that's not really widely known? No, it's definitely not widely known. Um, very few agents would explain it that way because it, it would be hard to sell if you did. <laughs> yes, it would be. Very good. Okay, so that's uh, <laughs> crashes. Uh, you, we, you, inflation is one of your monsters. We've talked about inflation. The last of your monsters is mm -hmm. debt interest. So, again, we have very high interest rates on debt, 19% on credit cards, and mortgages are 6 or 7%. And so what can people do to, to get their debt interest down and slay that particular well, monster? Jordan, you bet. Jordan, that comes back directly to our conversation about Bank on Yourself where the, the whole idea with bank on yourself is you can be accumulating cash towards retirement, towards these goals that you have. And in the, in the short period, in the midterm period, before you retire, you have access to those funds to use as a source of financing. So if you can borrow from your policy at a very low rate and not use that credit card at 19% or not use that car loan at eight or nine or 10%, um, then you can, 
essentially you can be redirecting what you would have spent to the bank and increase the amount you can save. Indeed. Uh, you are a believer in, in the um, uh, self, what is it called? The, the uh, safety first, safety first retirement planning technique uh, by Dr. Wade Fow. Just briefly describe what that safety first retirement planning system is about. Safety first retirement planning is really, instead of focusing on year over year rates of return, you're focused on creating income, tranches of income, if you will, that are ready and available when they're needed. So you really focus on income. That is the key to me. And I think, I think that is the purpose of all retirement planning is to produce an income that will support you when you stop working, i.e. retirement. Um, and so I think a lot of pre-retirees miss it. They're focused on year-over-year rates of return and some of these other concepts without really um, looking far enough down the road to see that at some point you have to turn those assets into an income that you can support yourself with in retirement and hopefully support yourself at a lifestyle level that you want and not just a subsistent lifestyle. Even though rates really gone up. first retirement even though rates have gone up some uh, in the last year or so, uh, long treasuries are still yielding roughly 4%, something like that. Uh, are there ways to get higher rates of passive income that aren't too risky? Um, absolutely. I think one of the most underrated ones are fixed index annuities. Uh, those are great places in particular for qualified retirement plans like 401ks and IRAs and so forth. Um, where you can you can place that money with an insurance company in a fixed index annuity. You participate in the, any upward movements of those indexes above and beyond the guarantee in the contract. But the, the leverage on the income part of a fixed index annuity can be significant and well beyond any uh, safe withdrawal rate that you might find in a conventional retirement account. What kind of yields can you earn today on one of those annuities? Um, I don't think I, I'm careful about using the word yield um, because with the fixed index annuity, we're focused on that income piece when it's time to retire. And so the income piece is going to be determined by some kind of an income account within the annuity that is different and separate from the underlying annuity contract. And so you can see those what are called roll-up rates in that income account at the guaranteed level are usually somewhere in the 4 to 10% range, depending on the company and the product, where that income account will grow by those percentages until you reach whatever age it is you decide to activate, I'll use the word, activate that income feature for retirement. What are some other sources, maybe alternative sources, of income in retirement beyond bonds? I mean, do you like uh, dividend paying stocks or do you like real estate? What are some other sources of income since passive income is an important part of your strategy? Absolutely. So I, I think there's a few things. Um, one of them would be, obviously, I'm a, I'm a fan of the fixed index annuities. Those are income streams that you can never outlive. Once you turn them on, they're guaranteed for life. Many companies offer inflation protection where they'll step up in value um, every year or every couple of years based on the, the, the index performance. Um, secondly, the life insurance policies we've been talking about, um, you can convert those and, and start drawing income from those cash values when you retire. And so those two sources combined should form 
a foundation or a baseline. And then you can leverage up from there once that baseline's in place where you know your minimum expectation for income is met, it's, it's safe, it can't, be, it can't be eaten away by the money monsters, and it's going to be there. Now we can start leveraging and perhaps looking at some different things. And this is different things for different people. Some people like real estate. They like rental real estate. Some people um, like options. Some people like dividend-paying stocks or building bond ladders or whatever the case may be. But I think the key component is we're using the life insurance products, appropriate and properly designed life insurance products, to form that foundation that's unshakable. Now, today, I mean, more and more baby boomers are turning retirement age in the 60s and 70s. In many cases, have not saved enough uh, to have a decent retirement. What do you recommend for people who are getting there who haven't, haven't saved enough? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, and you're right. We're running into to that situation all the time. Um, and the, the bottom line is you, you really have to find a way to, to increase your income, decrease your expenses, or um, you know, so you can save more. And then I think adjusting your expectations, too, is, is really a, a key component. Um, you know, it's, it's time is the, uh, the you, you, you wish you could get every 22 to 30-year-old to, to understand this concept, that time is the most important component of any planning scenario. And so well, if, if somebody's behind retirement. the game... You, you've well, run out of time <laughs> when you get in your 60s and 70s. What do you do when you've run out of time? For compounding, yeah, you just you just have to make that time up as quick, uh, you know that that money up as quickly as you can. But you also have to position what you do have. You you literally can't afford to lose a penny in that scenario. And yet, I see I see so many prospective clients that have money in these places that are exposing them to potential loss or excessive tax or excessive fees. And if you're short on time, you, you literally just can't afford to, to give up any of those efficiencies. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Ensley, a financial planner in the Seattle and Washington area. You can find out more about what he's offering at jensley.com, spelled J-E-N-S-L-E-Y.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Ensley, a financial planner in Washington State, who's an expert on retirement. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Jordan. A lot of people talk about the 4% rule, which is how much you can withdraw when you're in retirement. Explain what that is, and is that still relevant in today's situation? Sure, no problem. So a gentleman by the name of Bill Benjamin back in 1994 did some calculations, and um, they ran a number of different scenarios against a number of different investment um, situations and determined that a person, if they pulled about 4% of their, of their retirement account value as income each year after retirement over a 30-year retirement, um, the 4% rule was designed because that gave you a greater chance that you will not run out of money before that 30-year mark. So that's where it came from. Um, there's some there's some things with it that um, were a, a little bit misleading with the 4% rule because so many factors depend on how it's invested and what the what the retiree is doing, et cetera. So it's become kind of this benchmark 4% withdrawal rate. Uh, Dr. Wade Fow, who we talked about before with the Safety First Retirement Planning, um, he's a retirement researcher and did a number of different research projects over the last few years and determined that that 4% rule Really, as things have changed and um, interest rates went to zero for a while, of course now they're rising again, um, and some different things that came into calcul to, to came into that calculation really determined that a safe withdrawal rate for retirement is probably more in the two and a half percent range. Um, and so, what does that mean? Well, that means at the four percent rule, if you had a million dollars, you would forty thousand dollars a year at four percent would be your annual income versus twenty five thousand dollars a year at a two and a half percent withdrawal rate. So this has a huge impact on the amount of money you actually have to spend in retirement depending on that rule. So at the four percent rule, what Dr. Fow is saying is there's a very high likelihood that you'll run out of money at some point due to some of the money monsters actually um, that can draw things down faster than you expect. Um, So this comes back to a concept called sequence of return risk and how long will your money actually last? That's a big topic right now. So a big concern of retirees is the uh, status of Social Security. So it was part of the State of the Union Mm -hmm. and basically they're saying they're not going to Cut Social Security. On the other hand, a report just came out saying it's going to pretty much run out of money by, I think it's 2034 or something like that. What, what is your view of the future of Social Security, and should people count on it as solidly as people count on it today? Yeah, I'm, I am um, particularly concerned about future generations. Um, and when I say that, you know, our, our grandkids and great-grandkids 
um, I think are going to have a, a, a bigger problem than we have to deal with, as, as in the current generation of, of boomers and Gen X and so forth. Um, I think the, the spin doctors can keep the plate spinning longer than most of us think is possible. So it's, it's pretty obvious when you look at how the program works um, that it, it's unsustainable in its current state. But I, I never try to underestimate the creativity of politicians. And, um, and I, I think they're going to do a number of different things over the coming decade or two to keep it going. But, but I think beyond that, it's going to become untenable. And I, I could be completely wrong. It could, all, it could all come apart by 2034, as you mentioned. Um, or it could go a little longer than that. But I, I think you really shouldn't count on it. In terms of if, if your whole retirement plan is Social Security, I think you might be in for some disappointment. What should politicians do if they were doing the right things as far as raising the retirement age or raise taxes or change benefits? What should they be doing to make it last much longer? Well, I think you got to do all those things. You got to raise the retirement age. You got to quit dipping into the Social Security and Medicare funds for other things. Um, but at its core, they also have to uh, address the demographic issue that we have, where there are simply fewer and fewer and fewer workers that are supporting more and more and more retirees. So and, unless that gets dealt with, that will ultimately decide the demise of the program, um, in which case it, you know, it gets scrapped and probably something new takes its place and who knows what that might be. Uh, Medicare is even, I think it's 2028, they're worried about that running out of money. What is your outlook for Medicare and what should be done there? I, I really have the same outlook as I do for Social Security. Uh, that program is also unsustainable in its current form. Um, we're, medical technology is keeping people alive longer and longer and longer. Medical costs are getting higher and higher and higher, particularly here in the United States. Um, and so it's just, it's unsustainable. There are no longer enough workers to support the current level of retirees. And then that is the, the core problem. So that can't, demographics can't be changed by legislation. It's just a fact. So what can they do? Increase the Medicare taxes a lot or cut benefits? What could they do if they wanted to save Medicare? I, you know, it's, uh, I, th I think what they will do is print money in order to, to, to cover it. I think that's, that's ultimately what they'll try to do anyway. And of course that'll, you know, we we're back to the inflation conversation. Um, it's a tough question. I don't know that I have a great answer for it. Neither program is sustainable in its current form. And um, I think uh, there's, there just has to be some significant reductions in benefits or reductions in uh, or more inflation so that it looks like there's the same level of benefit, but there's not. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough question. It's something that should have been addressed a decade or two or three ago, and um, it continues to not be addressed, and it gets more and more unsolvable as we get closer to, the, to that juxtaposition. You sent me an article about the crisis in retirement planning. Is this part of it, that people just haven't planned enough and they're relying too much on the government to bail them out? Yeah, that is part of it. And then the other part of it is what we were talking about earlier, that, that folks are just not focused enough on creating an income that will support them. And that and when I say support them, that means that the you know, understanding that a, a, a significant percentage of our income in retirement is going to pay for health care. 
because as we get older, we have more and more and more of these medical issues. Um, and so we really, that has to be a key component of planning. Yeah. So overall, are you relatively optimistic or not so optimistic about the future of retirement in America as more and more baby boomers retire every day? Uh, you know, I'm an, I'm a, I refer to myself sometimes jokingly as an irritating optimist. Um, so I, I am pretty optimistic for the most part. I, I think uh, one of my passions with my practice is just trying to help people become aware of the realities that they face. Um, I think things are, things are never as bad as they appear they could be, and they're probably never as good as they appear they could be. They, they're, they're somewhere in the middle. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not in the, uh, you know, give it up, it's all over camp. I don't, I don't think that's realistic. But I think having eyes wide open and understanding that, that you really can't count on these social programs to support you. If they're there, great whatever the case may be, but you can't count on them. You've got to have planning in place and you've got to have um, plan A, B, C, D in place to account for some of these things that happens without overreacting. In the roughly two minutes, we have a whole... Oh, there's just, there's a whole lot of great things happening in terms of medical technologies and um, some of these kinds of things that are wonderful things that we can look forward to. Um, so, so I'm not a pessimist by any means because I think there's a lot of good things that are going to, that are going to come our way as well over these next decades. In roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize the benefits of doing the bank on yourself strategy as a way to counteract all of what we've been talking about here? You bet. I think a properly designed life insurance policy, a whole life insurance contract uh, designed for cash value accumulation can insulate you from some of what's going on in the financial system. So it can insulate you from some of that inflation or at least help you keep pace with it. It can insulate you from taxes that are already onerous and probably getting more onerous based on our conversation just now. It can insulate you from excessive fees. And that was really that driving question at the beginning for me was how can I insulate my own financial life from these aspects of the financial system that are essentially corrupt and somewhat rigged. And what I found was appropriate, properly designed life insurance products, if they can play a key role in your asset allocation strategy, you can, in fact, insulate yourself from some of these things that are happening in the, in the financial system. So I think that's probably the, the best reason to pursue the strategy is that you can insulate yourself from the negative things that are out there. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been John Ensley. Uh, he is a financial planner in the Seattle, uh, Washington area. You can find out more about him at his website, jensley.com, spelled J-E-N-S-L-E-Y.com. Uh, he, he brought us the Bank on Yourself strategy and much more with tips about uh, doing better in retirement. So thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, John. My pleasure, Jordan. It's been uh, awesome to be here. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.